Well, it is a joy to be with you again today. And uh, I don't think we're in California. We're on the west side of your state. We drove over from Fort Myers this morning. And so we got on the road early this morning to get over here today. And so it's a much shorter trip from the west side of Florida than to, from California. And, um, but we are glad to be here with you. And of course, we, we miss your pastor too because we enjoy his fellowship and joy, and, uh, but we certainly have enjoyed your church and, uh, since we've been here the last several years and to watch it grow. And if you'd ever visit our church in Chicago, you'd feel right at home. There's a few churches that remind you of your home church, and I mean few, because I preach in hundreds of churches, and this is one of the few churches that we feel right at home at. For one, you got a sharp lady in the back row with an Ohio State Buckeye jersey on. So you know right now we have a good church to work with. So hallelujah for that. All right, we're going to teach a simple Sunday school lesson today. When I say simple, I'm going to teach it in a simple way because part of my lesson is I want to teach you to teach because you do not lack good teaching in this church. Uh, Brother Dane is an excellent teacher and an excellent preacher. And what I want to do today is take a lesson that is very complex and yet make it very understandable for all of us, for even children, but teach you how to reteach it. And so that you can go home and teach it to your children or your grandchildren. And when you teach, you generally learn more than the pupils you are teaching. I don't know of a Sunday school teacher. I don't know of a preacher that does not say this. Man, there was so much more to give them, but I already preached an hour. There was no more time. But there's just so much you learn when you teach a lesson, and then it becomes part of you. The danger in sitting in a Bible class continuously, never reteaching it, is that you become a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word. And that's dangerous because then we begin to fool ourselves and deceive ourselves into thinking that we're great Christians in right standing with God when in reality we haven't changed a bit. We just know a little bit more than we did before. And so it helps us to grow in grace when we turn around and share what we have learned or teach others what we have learned. And so that's the broad, uh, broad goal of my lesson today, but certainly there's gonna be a fine point to it as well. So if you'd open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11, Genesis chapter 11, and we are going to read just the nine, first nine verses of this chapter, and I think once we begin reading, most of you are gonna be very familiar with the uh, event that we're reading about. Strong churches are made by strong families, and strong families are made in strong churches. And so it's very important that when we teach and preach in the church of the living God, our desire is to dispense truth, but also make it very applicable and usable in everyday life for our families so that our families can be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and reciprocate 
in the church of the living God. Strong families make strong churches. Strong churches make strong families. And so let's pray to that end today. Father, would you bless the reading and the teaching of your word. I pray that the seed that will be sown would land in fertile soil. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. All right, let's pick up in verse number one. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Let's stop right there. What time do we stop Sunday school lesson? Ten fifteen ish Okay, 10.15. Very good. That, that will help. I don't know that I'll stop right at 50, but I'll start landing the plane. Okay, I'll circle the airport and hopefully land it. All right. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to... Let us go down and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, or Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of of all the earth. I want to draw your attention to six words in the middle of verse 4. Whose top may reach unto heaven. And I want to teach a lesson today that I've titled, Building a Life That Pleases God. Building a tower that will reach God and please God. When we speak of the Bible story, sometimes people imagine in their mind that Bible stories are the same as Greek mythology or Aesop's fables or bedtime stories or Dr. Zeus. But when we say the story of the Tower of Babel, we are actually referring to a historical event. This actually took place. This, the Word of God is includes world history and this happens to be an event in world history you understand the story here you understand the storyline the people at this point in time in history they all spoke one language now there are debates and there are arguments on what language that was i think the majority of critics and uh, historians would say they spoke hebrew up until this time but it makes no really big difference on what language that was spoken at the time. 
they all spoke one language. For us, it would be easy for us to understand they all spoke English because we tend to interpret the scripture from the country in which we live. Now, if you live in Spain or France, you might think they all spoke Spanish or they all spoke French. Um, if you're from Bahamas, they were Bahamamans and uh, Bahamamamas, yeah, man. No, that's Jamaican, yeah. I, so, um, but they spoke one language. And uh, the Bible says that the people, they gathered together, and this didn't happen just in a day. This happened months, maybe years, and decided to build a city and a tower. When they built a city, there was always a wall around the city. It was, in essence, a small little nation, if you please. In our world, it would be similar to like the Vatican, a city, but yet a nation, because every city had walls to protect it from the enemy. Anytime they built a city, there was an accumulation of wealth, job opportunities, better housing, etc. And when you have that, those that don't have that want it. And so they're going to come in and try to steal, to take away what they have. And so therefore, fortresses, walls were usually built around cities. But this city was not just a, a city of great magnitude and great wealth. It was a city that, according to historians, and hinted in the scripture here that it was a religious city, a city that they were going to build a tower that was going to reach into heaven. And archaeologists have uncovered quite a bit of information to indicate that this was a religious temple as well, where the signs of the zodiac were worshipped and the plurality of gods were worshipped. And so now they are going to build a tower to please and reach these multitude of unknown gods. Now let me remind you something. The historical account of the Tower of Babel is really no different than the world in which we live today. When God created man, he created man to be able to fellowship with him. But because of sin, that relationship has been marred and destroyed. But that leaves within all mankind a vacuum that only Jesus can satisfy. Period. Religion may be a crutch, may help some people along, but it doesn't fulfill or satisfy. And so lost men, instead of going to God, want the best of both worlds. They want what the world has to offer, but they also want that relationship with some supreme being. And that would be the context of this story and the nation in which we live today. Those of you that are a little bit older, you remember back in our history here in America, the, pluralistic, the pluralism of many religions, that wasn't spoken of. America was known as a Christian nation. It's not that we didn't tolerate non-Christians. We loved non-Christians. We try to evangelize non-Christians. But to, to try to convey the truth to this generation that it's always been a pluralistic religious society, that's not true. You go to Washington, D.C. and look at all the monuments and all the buildings and you'll find in every governmental building Scripture inscribed in our buildings. Scripture, God's Word, not words from the Koran. 
not words from any other religious writing, but from the Holy Word of God. Yes, we love non-believers, but America was primarily established for the advancement of the, quote, Christian religion. And so, today we have developed into a pluralistic mentality, and that's been advanced by kicking the Bible out of our schools, kicking the Word of God and prayer out of our schools, kicking God out of uh, just about anything on television. Anything that refers to God on television is usually in a sarcastic, uh, demeaning way. You know that and I know that. Um, let's go back a few years. Archie Bunker. He's not Exhibit A for Christianity. He's just a, a goofy, dumb old, white, bigoted, white dude. But he said a lot of things that were biblical. And it was intended that way to mock. Because anybody that can think would say, don't be like Archie Bunker. But it was to mock anything that was biblical and right. And then we have a generation raised on Bart Simpson and the Simpson family. Again, mocking anything that is righteous and right and clean and pure. We're living in the same day similar to the times of the Tower of Babel. Well, this is really cool because I got some good things to remind you of. God knows what's going on. The Bible says he goes down and he visits the earth. And I think we forget that at times, that um, just because we don't see the body of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't mean that he's not present on this earth. You read in scripture, a lot of times you'll read the angel of the Lord the angel of the Lord. That is what theologians call a Christophany, a pre-Bethlehem appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus existed long before he became flesh in Bethlehem. He created the world and he visited this world. And here he is in Genesis chapter 11, visiting this world. And he comes down to see what the children of men do, or what they're doing. And don't you know, he gives them credit. He says, nothing that they've imagined to do they can't do. That's incredible. That was before computers. That's back when people still could think. That's before TV dumbed down three generations. Um, nothing. And so God gives them credit. Well, God created man to have a mind. He created man with a great intellect. Even our scholars today say that we use so little of our brain. I think of Stephen Hawking that just passed away this past week. One of the most brilliant men of our generation. And an atheist, a proclaimed atheist. And yet when he was in school and college, uh, he was witnessed to and taken to church. Even as a boy, his dad told him he needed to read the scriptures. He was very familiar with the scriptures. And yet he chose not to believe God. Here it is. People with great intellect choosing not to worship God as God instructs us to do. And they're going to make a man-made religion hoping to have the best of both worlds. Well, Jesus is aware of this. He's much concerned 
And so he is going to slow things down. Now, folks, that's, that's comforting to me because every now and then I get a little worried about America. I get worried of what my kids are going to grow up with, what my grandkids are going to grow up with. And we think, how bad can America get? Well, it's a lot worse today than it was when I was a kid. But you know, God's grace is greater than all our sin. Scripture says, where sin does abound, grace doth much more abound. And so, we've got hope, we've got comfort, we've got confidence knowing that God is still in control and very much aware. And if we will just do our part to teach and train our children, and if they will respond to the gospel, they will be just as safe as you were in your generation. Just as safe as Noah and his family. Just as safe as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just as safe as Jonah during one of the most vile, wicked times on the planet Earth. I'm just saying, God is very much aware of what's going on. And we need to put our focus on Him rather than the condition of our world. Well, I like to think of how these stories played out. Can you imagine the story here? Oh, my. You know, we don't even have time because I... When I tell a story, I want to tell a story. It'll take too long, but it's a good story. Just think of it. A Mexican telling a Polak, telling a German, telling a German, telling a Scottishman, telling a Nigerian, telling a, a Jamaican, and telling a Bahama Mama how to build a building. This is going to be one mixed up place. You put together the story. I'd tell you the story if I had time but it takes way too long because I enjoy it way too much. But little wonder the Bible says they quit building the building. And the place of it was called Babel, confusion, because they couldn't understand each other. Listen, my wife speaks English. She speaks perfect English. And there are times she speaks to me and I don't know what she's saying. <laughs> but if she started speaking Spanish, I'm here to tell you, that would really mess up this whole relationship. And you get a room full of people speaking different languages, you know what it's like. You hear a guy speaking your mother tongue, you tend to migrate to them. Some of you that come from different areas, you hear a draw. You hear someone from Mississippi or Arkansas, and you just migrate to them because they're talking in your mother tongue. And you feel like they're the only people that really understand. Well, here it is, Tower of Babel. It was a mess. But I'm going to give you three, lessons, three reasons why their tower never reached heaven. And this is what I want you to memorize, because I want you to teach your kids and your grandkids. Three reasons why their life, why their tower never reached God. Same three reasons why your life, my life, will never please God. Number one, look in verse two. They built it in the wrong place. They went from the east, and again, I'm I went a little too long in the introduction, so I'm going to have to abbreviate a little bit. They journeyed west, the opposite direction that God instructed people to go. And so they're going just like Jonah. He ran from the presence of the Lord. And they settled down in a place where they should not have settled down to build a city, 
Now let me ask you a question. Are there places that Christians ought not to build their lives if they want to please God? I mean, you can be a Christian or say you're a Christian and still be in the wrong places. Is that true? Tell me, where are some places we ought not to build? Where are places that would not help us build a life to please God? Help me out. Nightclubs. Somewhere. Bars. Somewhere else. Do Christians go there? Some say they're Christians and go there. But you know and I know, you can't please God there. Your life is not going to be developed there. Where are some places we ought not to go? Pardon? Vegas. Vegas. Somewhere else. Los Angeles. <laughs> Chicago. Might as well put that on the list, too. <laughs> Detroit. Detroit. Yeah, if you want to live. <laughs> um, I think we're getting the idea. You know, there's some places in your house that you ought not to go. There's some, you shouldn't be watching certain TV programs. Is that a fair thing to say? There's some places you ought not to go on the internet. Is that fair to say? And if you do, your life is doomed to fail. Are you listening? You can't, like this text, you can't have it both ways. It's one or the other. Oh, you might get off to a decent start and have the best of both worlds, feel pretty religious and pretty spiritual and still enjoy the things of the world, but your life is going to end up in a confusing mess. There's just some places we ought not to go. Number two, look in verse three. They built their tower with the wrong parts. So we have two of the three points right now, and I want to make sure you learn this. So they failed because they built in the wrong place and used the wrong parts. Repetition is the mother of education. And so let's repeat that, but you say it with me. They built it in the wrong place and used the wrong parts. Let's try that again. They built it in the wrong place and they used the wrong parts. Well, what parts did they use? Look in verse number three. The Bible says they had slime for mortar and brick for stone. When I read that, I thought, well, what's, what's wrong with brick? I mean, my home is built out of all brick. We paid extra money to have an all brick home. My church is a brick building. And it, it's almost implying that there's something wrong with brick. They had, they had um, brick for stone and Slime for mortar. And then I got to thinking, well, who even really cares? What's the big deal? Why did God even include this in Scripture? God doesn't put anything in Scripture haphazardly. There is something to learn from every single word in God's book. And you know what it is? You know what the lesson is? Men use substitutes for what God has provided. It's not that brick is wrong, but stone is what God provided. Brick, man-made. Slime is man-made. 
and some might argue, but it's stronger. The point of this lesson is what God provides is what is needed to build a life to please God. Are you with me? What are the two most important parts in our, in our life to build a life to please God? I would suggest, first of all, reading your Bible. There is no substitute with reading your Bible. It is pitiful today, and I want to say that in a nice way because I want to be uplifting and encouraging and not negative because this younger generation doesn't like negativity and all that kind of nonsense. The only negativity they like is to beat somebody in a game. And so, but uh, that's okay. The younger generation today, and it starts with us old timers today, we don't know the Bible. We don't quote the Bible like we used to. And I'm concerned that as I transfer my ministry to a younger man in my church, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna get out of the Bible? Because I have to study the Bible to be prepared each Sunday. Am I going to become like you, lazy, and watch more TV than I read the Bible? It's real easy here because here in our Florida condo, we get the game show network. I don't get that back home. I could watch that all day long. That is a great, uh, great channel to have. I didn't even know that. I think that... Um, I think GSN really stands for God's Special Network. And so I, somehow I got to spiritualize it because I like it. But there's a danger in getting out of God's Word. And if I'm going to build a life to please God, I have to spend time in God's Word. Regardless of how many verses I can quote does not excuse me from spending time in God's Word. You know, God's Word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. God's Word washes me and cleanses me. God's Word comforts me. It guides me. It protects me. God's Word is so vitally important in the Christian's life. And yet today, you know as well as I do, come on, let's be honest. Most people today can talk about sports figures just like that. But they can't tell you the 12 apostles' names. They can't tell you the eight Beatitudes. They can't quote the Ten Commandments. They can't tell you where the, uh, the golden rule is. They can't quote some of the great chapters of the Word of God. And, and today's generation looks at a preacher like me and says, you mean you expect me to know that stuff? It's not a matter of me expecting you. It's a matter of why don't you want to know? There was a time in... Church history, you can read about it. Daily, they were in the Word of God. That was their fellowship. Today, fellowship to a Baptist means food. And they did eat. They did break bread together, but it was just to sustain them so they could sit around and talk about God's Word and study God's Word and hear. They had small groups back then. It didn't replace the church services they met every day of the week in somebody's home to talk about what they learned in God's Word. That's a little different than 21st century Christianity, is it not? And today we're substituting sermons on CD or MP3 or however else you listen to them. And I'm all for sermons. But sermons 
are not a substitute for God's Word. I tell young preachers when I counsel with them, they read the, all the popular books on how to build a church. And I tell them, reading books are fine, but you ought to read God's Word as much as you read human authors. Here's what you need. Everything you need to know about life and building a church is in this book. I'm not opposed to additional reading, but not as a substitute for this book. Does that make sense? Second part we need is prayer. And that is a series of sermons, and it's a really a lifelong journey. My dad used to say, prayer is the hardest work I know. And it is. The average Christian today cannot pray for an hour. Jesus said to his, his inner circle, what, you, you couldn't watch with me for an hour? You couldn't pray for an hour? And the average fundamental independent narrow-minded King James only red-letter edition Baptist today struggles to have a prayer time that lasts an hour, let alone hours. Ian Bound said, prayer can do anything God can do. It's just that nobody believes that. You would think somebody in our churches today would say, is that, is that true? Prayer can do anything God can do? Is that really true? Well, Jesus said it numerous times, ask what you will. Knock. Seek. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Again I say unto you. I'd say that's quite a statement. Prayer can do anything God can do. And you would think somebody in our churches a group of people in our churches would say, if that's true, then I want to learn how to pray. I want to learn to get the ear of God. If there's miracles to be had, I want God to use me and to show me how to pray. Elijah called fire down from heaven. 63 words. That's not a long prayer. But the reason why he had that strengthened prayers because he had length in prayer. He'd spent a long time in prayer with God. Two substitutes, two parts you cannot substitute, Bible reading and prayer. You can use technology, you can use your training, you can use CDs, you can use tracks, you can use the internet, you can use all that stuff. But that can be a substitute for what's vitally needed in our life development, prayer and Bible study. Okay, I got one more point. You ready? They built their tower in the wrong place. They used the wrong parts. Let's say that together. Wrong place. Wrong parts. Now we're going to get to the last P. Verse number four. They had the wrong purpose. Let's read that. I'm going to read the verse out loud. 
and you let me know if there's a word in there that stands out to you, okay? And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Is there a word in that verse that stood out to you all? Us. You know, it's amazing. It just really jumps off the page to me. They had the wrong purpose. Do you know that's, that is the problem with the United States today? We think way too much of the U.S. We're going to make America great again. Please, I want to be respectful to the president of our country. But we never made America great in the first place. God blessed America because of his people obeying his word. The problem in America is not the White House, it's the church house. And when churches filled with God's people get right with God, then God will bless even the heathen. The rain will fall on the just and the unjust. But the key to revival in America is us in this room. Those of us that name the name of Christ. If we're going to build a tower to please God, he should be first in everything. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Your schooling, teenager, should glorify God. Your job should glorify God. Certainly what you do in church should glorify God. But there's more to glorifying God than just Sunday morning and Sunday night. It's Monday through Saturday as well. Whether you eat or drink, do all the glory of God. Their tower did not reach heaven because they built it, help me, in the wrong place. They used the wrong parts and they had the wrong purpose. But the opposite is true. You want to please God? Then build your life in the right places. Build your life with the right parts. Build your life with the right purpose. And if you do, your life will not only please God, you'll reach God. You'll spend your life in heaven for all eternity. All right. That's our Sunday school lesson. What do we do now?